My name is Jason Taylor, and I'm the Biblical Soul Care Pastor here, and it's my privilege to share the Word of God with you today. We're going to take a look at one psalm this morning, Psalm 77. So I'd love for you to turn there in your devices or your Bibles. If you need a Bible, one of the ushers will be happy to give you one of ours. Just go ahead and flag them down and grab a Bible. Now, while we're going through the whole chapter, we're going to do this portion by portion, uh, little bit by little bit. So we're going to start off with a small part of Psalm 77 and just verse 1. So if you would join me there, Psalm 77 and verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I cry aloud frames the whole context of this particular psalm. The psalmist, Asaph is his name, is not afraid to pray out to God, and he's hurting. He's hurting, but he's not whimpering. He's not whining. Instead, he's reaching out to God in his pain. His way of praying may feel a little bit odd to us, a little bit foreign to us, because it's not typically the way that we pray. Maybe you are in pain this morning. Now, I gotta warn you, this message is not one of those positive Christian messages, one of those uplifters that are just leaves you so feeling so great. Hopefully, it will give you hope as it connects you with God's mercy. But I've been wanting to preach this message for some time because it's normative to the human life. Pain, sorrow, crushed expectations, hurt. It's what we experience on a regular basis just by being human. But what do we do with that pain? What do we do with that hurt? According to this, The psalmist cries aloud to God. So how do we do that? What's that look like? I'm gonna read you a few prayers. And I'm just curious what you think of these prayers. Please God, no more yelling. No more trips to the woodshed. Treat me nice for a change. I'm so starved for affection. Can't you see I'm black and blue? Beat up badly in bones and soul? God, how long will it take for you to let up? Can we talk to God that way? God, are you avoiding me? Where are you when I need you? Long enough, God. Long enough. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Should we pray like this to God? Is that okay? Do you pray this way? Well, I want you to know that these are actually taken from Scripture. They're from a paraphrased version called The Message, and they're portions of Psalms 6, 10, and 13. A more literal translation like the ESV version that we read from reads like this, Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, 
How long? Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that you should pray that way to God? These are Hebrew laments. It's a long forgotten but deeply biblical way of praying. Now, I understand that some in the church here, women's ministry, student ministry has taught some and recently on laments, and that is so encouraging to me because we often forget how to lament and that we should lament and that lament is good for us. If you're in one of those ministries, today's message may be a little bit of a reminder, but it's good to be reminder, reminded. But I find, generally speaking, most of us don't know anything about lament. Maybe because it's foreign to us. And why does it feel foreign? Well, maybe because we have some initial objections to it. So, for example, it, it may feel disrespectful. Like, can we really talk to God this way? Can I speak to God like this and the earth not open up and he swallow me up? I know you're thinking it. Or maybe it's uncomfortable for you. My assumption for this is that we generally want to keep our lives fairly balanced. Our emotions, our reactions, our theology, our thinking. But lament doesn't seem balanced at all. It feels raw and dark and painful and heavy and uneven. It's feelings focused rather than solution focused. Or third, maybe it just seems immature. Like I find that we view lament as an immature way to handle our emotions. It's something children do, right? Children are natural lamenters. No one teaches a child to cry. They're crying from the moment they exit the womb. They're shouting out, put me back in there. This is cold. <laughs> but there's no better way to be scooped up into the arms of mother and father than for a child to cry. And the same is true for us with our heavenly father. The Bible is clear. God wants us to find comfort and hope and mercy by lamenting. So turn to God. Turn to God in our pain. Turn to God in our sorrow. Turn to him when things aren't going, out our, going our way. Verse one, back to verse one of Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying, and my soul refuses to be comforted. Biblically, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trusting God. It's the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox between pain and the goodness of God. The psalmist writes here, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Through prayer, he's crying out to his heavenly father and he's reaching out to him, expressing the anguish of his soul. And he knows, he is confident that God will hear him. 
in verse 1. One of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, the dread pirate Roberts says, life is pain, and if anyone tells you otherwise, he's selling you something. We like to think positive, and we should. We like to be up, and we should. But the reality is there's so much sorrow in this broken world. Life is bittersweet. It's bitter in the circumstances of life, the brokenness of this lost world, the injustice of society, and my crushed expectations of how I think my life should go and it doesn't, but it's also sweet, right? Lament can lead us to this sweetness because it's a pathway to this faithfulness, leading us to experience God's compassion and goodness and hope and comfort and mercy. Lament is a grace of God. The author of the psalmist knows that hope in the midst of this pain is found in his relationship with God. And Asaph is not the only biblical author that believed this. I'm gonna lay this out for you somewhat quickly, but I just, my point is I want you to see how full of lament the Bible is. The Bible, the whole book, uh, the Bible is full of lament. In fact, there's a whole book titled Lamentations. The entire book is a lament. It's a book for the faithful that are left in Jerusalem to mourn Zion's disaster, God's judgment on ancient Israel's sin, and pray for the hope of her renewal. And that book was actually sung in worship services in their tabernacle, the Old Testament church. Now, can you imagine singing songs like that in church this morning? That's how important it was. Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, 150 psalms. 72 out of 150 psalms are laments. That's 48% of the psalms are laments, crying out to God. And there's different kinds of laments. First of all, there's personal laments, right? This is the individual who's vocalizing pain and grief and fear and other strong emotions. For someone who might have lost a loved one, a personal lament would be appropriate. For someone who's been bullied at school, a personal lament would be appropriate. For for someone who something just hasn't gone their way in life, a personal lament would be appropriate. And then there's corporate lament. It's the group or nation vocalizing pain, grief, fear, or other strong emotion. Now, I know this takes me back a little bit. Some of you don't even know this event personally. But when the two towers fell, on 9-11, and then the days following, our nation corporately lamented. It was an amazing thing that we, we cried out to God because we grieved the loss of those in the World Trade Center. And then there are laments of repentance. This is where an individual or group expresses regret or sorrow, and they turn from their sin. It's such a sweet thing to watch someone who has sinned and violated God cry out to him and repent through lament and godly sorrow. I can never say this word right. 
imprecatory. Then there are imprecatory, I think I did it. There are imprecatory laments, meaning vengeance. Vengeance. I can imagine the Christians in Ukraine right now praying laments of vengeance upon their oppressors. Or maybe this morning you have a spouse who's an abuser, an oppressor over you, and you pray God's vengeance and your outrage in the injustice of how you've been treated. And then there are partial and debatable laments, parts of the Psalms that are laments, and some that seem a little bit happy, questionable whether they are laments. And you can also find outside of the Psalms, large portions of Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and minor prophets that are laments. So much of the Bible is a lament. Because lament encourages us to turn our gaze from the rubble of life to the redeemer of our heart. And you know it takes faith to lament. God wants us to cry out in our pain. He's asked us to do so, but it takes faith and who God is, and that he's the healer of our hurts to reach out to him. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate unbelief. And really, it harms us because it's a soul killer. Jesus didn't keep silent. When in agony, Jesus lamented. Notice he didn't focus on his circumstances now, I want you to imagine this in your sanctified imagination, right? He, he leaves the Passover, the Last Supper, and he walks out with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he do there? He laments. Knowing what's coming, knowing the pain that he's going to experience, knowing that God is going to turn his back on him, knowing what's coming and that he's going to take this judgment for all of us, He laments. But you know, he could have done it this way. Look at this chart. Matthew 26 actually tells us that the night before when Jesus was in the garden and Peter cut off the ear of one of the guards as as he's about to be arrested, as Jesus is about to be arrested, he turns to Peter and he says, don't you know that I can call 72,000 angels right now and I can wipe everybody out. I am the king. And if I want to take my place as king, I can do it. Instead, he lamented, which led him to obedience to the Father. So the night before the, the cross, Jesus turned to God He turned to God in prayer in the garden and he shared his complaint to God. And he asked some very bold things, but he ultimately ended up trusting the Father's will and obeying him. You see, he shared the complaint on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the garden, he said, If it's your will, would you let this cup pass from me? This cup of judgment? Nevertheless, you finish it. Not not my will, but your will be done. And he followed and obeyed God. Hebrews 12.2 says, 
we are now to look to Jesus, the author, founder, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the midst of the pain, Jesus endured the suffering by lamenting. He cried out to the Father and bridged the gap between his pain and his joy. The joy that he could look to knowing that he was going to sit down at the right hand of the Father. The joy of having those who confess our sins and believe on him to follow him and sit down in heaven with him. That joy That's where he's seated even now, the right hand of the Father. So we should be like Jesus. We turn to God and we complain to God. We complain to God. Pray your struggles. Look at the last half of verse two. It says, my soul refuses to be comforted. And then on to verse three of chapter 77. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. It's an amazing part of the passage because it's expressing to us that lament is not a quick fix. Asaph the psalmist cries out and his soul refuses to be comforted. He's still in pain. Lament is not a simplistic math formula that leads to immediate answers. It's not X plus Y equals Z. It's not like that. Rather, lament is the song that we sing, that one day God will answer and he will restore. He will make it right. It's relational, not scientific. Notice how Asaph the psalmist repeatedly goes back and forth as he's experiencing this pain between his sorrow and his thoughts of God. He says, when I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. He's faithful to continue the process of lament through the struggle. That's what lament encourages us to do. It encourages us to pray through the struggle in a life that's not perfect. And it brings us to this sovereign and good and amazing Father. And it's God who upholds us. Notice how Asaph says, you hold my eyelids open. And he can say this at the same time he feels sorrowful. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Asaph continues to cry out to God the Father, looking for him to comfort and looking for him to answer his prayers. I do wonder, though, as we talk about complaining to God, sometimes we go to another person before we go to God. We've just kind of set up that it's okay to complain to God, but is it okay to complain to people? Truthfully, this is a really good question. And a whole sermon could be preached on what the Bible has to say about this because it's not a simplistic answer. But ultimately, it's a matter of your heart when you complain to your friends. So I just want to just briefly interject these two questions. 
Here are two guiding questions for you that as you are tempted to go to your friends and complain, you can ask yourself about your own heart. Here's question one. When you're complaining, do I have a deep faith in God that is bringing contentment even though I'm dissatisfied with my circumstances? Do I have a deep faith in God bringing contentment even though I'm dissatisfied with my circumstances? If you can say yes to that, then you can go on to question two, which is, am I speaking or complaining my dissatisfaction out of faithful hatred for sin, zeal for God's glory, and love for God's people, or am I just wrapped up in myself? If you can answer yes to those two questions, it might be righteous to complain or grumble or vent to your friend. But friends, I wanna talk to you for just a brief second. A really good application in this moment is this. If your friend comes to you and they start to complain, whether they've answered yes to these questions or not, don't stop at just being a good listener. Yes, by all means, listen well. Hear them through. Let them talk. But then it's a great idea to lament together. Not just tell them to lament, but take them to God yourself and corporately lament. Weep with those who weep. Lament with those who lament. Bear each other's burdens in this kind of way. Always know this. Complaining, grumbling, and venting to God is faithful. Proper lament is an act of faith. So bring your friends to the Father. Go yourself to the Father and lament. It's also faithful to ask God your questions. So we turn to God, we complain to God, and we ask God our questions. Look at verse five. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Here, Asaph, the psalmist, is writing and he's remembering the days of old, the days and the times of ancient Israel that were better than the day that he was in. And he writes, let me remember, let me meditate And he says, my spirit made a diligent search. He's thinking and he's reflecting and he's pondering. And it leads him to six rhetorical questions. Bold, God-directed rhetorical questions. In verse seven, it says, "Will will the Lord spurn forever? Will the Lord never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at the end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Wow. What strong questions he's asking God. Have you ever asked God questions like these? He's being faithful by asking God these questions in the midst of the pain. Does Asaph really believe these things about the Lord? Probably not. 
as the rest of the psalm will show, but he is raw and he's honest with God about how he feels. And honestly asking questions to God reveals emotions that, that feel true, but maybe aren't based in truth. However, asking these questions are a real part of being in relationship with God. And it takes faith to lay our painful questions before him. Anyone can cry, but it takes faith to turn to God and lament. Let's, uh, let's think of the example of Job. Like, you know Job, right? The whole book is about Job's pain, his suffering, and all the things he goes through. By the way, most of it is a lament. And Job asks a bunch of questions to God. In fact, he demanded that God show up and answer his questions. And so one day God did. Only he didn't actually answer the questions in the way that Job thought he should. Instead, as he starts to unpack the answers to Job's questions, he, God, gives Job this grand view of who God is. He takes them he takes him through this mental image of the universe and he says, Job, are you able to manage all of this? Job, I think at a level that you don't think. I am concerned with details that you have no clue about. I do all of this and you have this limited perspective on life. And so Job hears him and humbles himself. He humbles himself and he takes his hand and he, he puts it over his mouth and he says, I put my hand over my mouth, meaning, I, meaning I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to stop asking these questions of God because God, instead, I see you and I trust you. But you know, God allowed Job to answer or ask him these questions. In fact, he said that Job was righteous. Job was righteous because he faithfully cried out to God and he faithfully asked him these questions and he faithfully lamented. He was righteous through his sorrow as he chose to trust God. So point number four is trust God in your pain. Trust God in your pain. Prayer turns us around. And as we trust him and as we pray, we, we turn towards trust. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 77. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your works and wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. Prayer leads us through the personal pain and difficult questions to God's truth that anchors our soul. In all we feel and all we question, there comes a point where we must call to mind what we know to be true. Here, Asaph uses words such as remember, meditate, and ponder to point to the process of calling God's truth to mind. You see, the whole psalm is moving forward with, with Asaph's pain, and then it shifts with one word. Verse 10, it says, then. Then. 
Asaph is moving past his feelings and questions to faithfully remembering God. He remembers God's powerful deliverance. He says, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Asaph is looking back and he's remembering the powerful, mighty, redeeming hand of God. The same hand that can intervene in our hurt and our grief today. But then he shifts. And he shifts from historical actions of God, historical memories of God's work to the character of God. Notice he says, your way, O God, is holy. And what God is great, like our God. This is an incredible turning point in the psalm. Because it makes lament so full of grace. As Asaph turns from his honest, raw questions to expressions of trust and hope. He may or may not have answers to his questions, just like you. When you ask God your questions, you may find answers. There may be answers in the Bible that are clear and obvious to you. And sometimes like Job and sometimes like Asaph, we don't get answers. But the answers weren't the hope that's described in this psalm. God is. It's the greatness and the holiness of God that is our hope. The truth of who God is and our relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, that is our hope. So hurting people, you have all the permission to grieve, but you have no permission to grieve aimlessly or selfishly. Biblical lament redirects people to hope. It redirects people to what's true despite what you are walking through. It's like this. Sometimes we know things to be true in our life. As we think about our lives, generally there's a gap between what we know and what we actually do. And sometimes that gap seems really large. So how do we take these things that we know to be actually true, and how do we actually live them out in our lives, especially when we're in pain? Well, I believe Asaph gives us the remedy. He gives us the answer to our problem. How do we know what to know? How do we do what we know to be true? We remember, we meditate, we ponder on the greatness and the amazingness of our God. That's the bridge over the canyon between what we know to be true and what we actually do. And lament takes us there. As we meditate on God's character and his works, it gives us confidence to face the trouble that this life brings. We remember his holiness. and We remember his greatness. And we remember all his works of old. And we remember his salvation.
the last section of the psalm encourages us to pray the gospel, his salvation. Look at verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. With your arm redeemed, with your arm you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, and your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This section describes the work of God to save ancient Israel out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. And it's describing his great works of power. Notice phrases such as, the waters saw you and they were afraid, right? Think of the Red Sea that parted and Israel, ancient Israel walked on dry land across the Red Sea. Like, oh look, there's a whale. How amazing that must have been. He also gave them leaders who taught them and led them to God. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, Asaph says. God went to incredible and miraculous lengths to keep his covenant with ancient Israel. He is so good and he is so amazing and this gives us great confidence today in the times of trouble. The truth that God heals us today is the redemption that Jesus brings and gives us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Did you notice that's what we sang about today? Thought it was Easter again. It's about lament and praying the gospel. Because he leads us out of the bondage of the slavery of sin and to the hope of a life with him. And this truth, This anchors us in the midst of a storm. Let's just take one example of a storm, another graph. Betrayal by a friend is a common thing, unfortunately, in our sinful, broken world. If one was betrayed by a friend, they could process that, and that sorrow could lead to distrust of others and withdraw in isolation, and next thing you know, you're at your house, and all sorts of trouble can come. Because you start to feel unworthy. You start to feel unworthy of friendship. You move into despair. And for some, you cope with alcohol or some other thing. Or we can faithfully lament, producing a life that looks more like this. If we were betrayed by a friend, we could turn to God. And we can share our complaint. And we can ask him bold and real and honest and raw questions. And we can rest in the truth that God is enough for me. He loves me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He is the best friend I could ever have. You may be going through any number of different kinds of struggles. And I just want you to know the Bible speaks to those struggles. On your 
notes page, and on the screen is a topical index with psalms for various struggles. I encourage you, if you find a category that's in your place right now, it's speaking your name, and it's saying, that's where I'm hurting. Spend some time this afternoon, and go read any number of the psalms that you find there, and use those psalms as a frame for your own personal lament. And if that's not enough for you, go to a friend. Go to a friend and say, this is what I'm struggling with. I need to share this with you. And I ask you to lament to God with me corporately. God is so good and so amazing. And he is there waiting for us in our moments of struggle. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the pain and rubble of this life, you are still there. Lord, we thank you that our greatest hope is you. As the hurt comes, whatever, Lord, that hurt is, we're so thankful that you are so faithful We are so thankful that you are there, mighty hand outstretched, ready to comfort, ready to guide, ready to give us hope. Lord, we are a hurting people. Give us hope today, we pray. In Jesus, your name.